Welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Panjway Podcast. As always, you can find our episodes on all podcast platforms, as well as YouTube and Facebook for the video episodes. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice, and if you enjoy what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at The Panjway Podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store, so if you head over to thepanjwaypodcast.com and click on the store tab, you'll see stickers and other merchandise, and who knows what might come down the pipeline. So remember, on all three platforms, that's The Panjway Podcast, P-A-N-J-W-A-I Podcast. Thank you. So actually, um, the naivety of me when I joined the military is I wanted to be airborne. You know, that was kind of like my thing. Yeah. Because I wanted to go, I wanted to take my chances and go to Fort Campbell in Kentucky because I'm from Kentucky originally. And so I thought I'd be like three and a half hours from home. Like that would be pretty sweet. It's a good so when I went. So you thought. Yeah, I thought 100 first yeah. airborne, you know, mm-hmm. scuba, high speed. Scuba. I haven't heard that in a while. I haven't heard There's an instant inside <laughs> joke, too. But anyways. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I pushed really hard for that when I was going through my recruitment process. And the dude looked at me, and he was like, he's like, oh, I can't get you airborne, man. And the original contract he offered me was three years, 11 Bravo, straight up, no airborne. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was like a $25,000 signing bonus. Dang. Uh-oh. I don't know about and that I life. said I wanted to go airborne. I was determined. And so he dangled a four and a half year contract, ranger contract. I didn't know what the fuck rangers were. <laughs> I knew what like SF and Green Berets were, so I thought that was cool, but I didn't know what ranger battalion was. And so he said, that's got an airborne, you know, it's got an airborne school and you can, you can go. Because I, I told him I wanted to go to the 101st. And he's like, yeah, that'll get you there, you know. And, uh, and so I ended up going through that process, got about three quarters of the way through OSIT, and they were like, who has a ranger contract? And at that point, I knew what it was. I said, I do. So who wants to give it up? I said, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I wanted to get out of Tradoc and into the Red Army as quick as I could. Mm-hmm. The joke is that probably 75 or 80% of my company went to the 101st in basic training. And the rest of us got scattered about, and about three or four of us went to third ID. Oh, so that makes no sense. Vicious but it cycle, makes I guess. Sense. It makes sense and doesn't make sense at the same time. But that's why it makes sense because it's yeah. the yeah. army. Because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so they they liked that's... like they use those ranger contracts and airborne contracts so fluidly mm-hmm. in basic training. It's like there's almost no point in taking one when you like sign up. Because you will, if you are, if you have a high PT score in basic training, you will be offered offered one. one. Yeah, if you, well, if you go infantry, you, they'll be like, "Hey, would you like to do this, folks?" <laughs> I know yeah. a lot of like a lot of our maintainers um, would get offered one uh, sixtieth contracts if they were pretty squared away in 
in there. Yeah, uh, that's a good place to go for a yes. support yeah. dude or dudette. Yeah, that's a that would have been a good place for me to go to if I wasn't already doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, sure. it's a good organization. They, they got, I got some friends over there and they take really good care of their people. So, yeah. Nice. But, all right. Well, here we are with, uh, Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Panjway Podcast. Our guest today is Major Emily Tucker. Emily is on active duty, so we're going to try to be really careful and make sure we don't make her look bad. Uh, but she <laughs> trusts us enough to join us on here. So, Emily, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah we're happy to have you. Um, you know, we usually kick these things off in a certain fashion, and we're going to try to stick to it. Um, kind of give us a little bit about your background, uh, how you end up joining the army, how you end up choosing your, uh, your career field and, uh, kind of what brought you to Kandahar and Panjway in 2012. Yeah. Um, that all happened pretty quick, really. I, um, joined the army out of college and went to OCS. I thought I had my life figured out, but I went to school in North Carolina and, uh, went to Methodist University, which is right outside Fort Bragg. And that was the first time that I was exposed to the military. So I um, saw a bunch of people in the army there and they inspired me to join. I um, worked in my previous career field for about a year before finally committing to enlisting. And I enlisted in 2009 to go to basic training. And then I shipped in 2010. So fall, fall of 2010. I uh, went to basic training, went to OCS. That was uh, an experience for a civilian to sure. go through and get a commission within six months. That was mm. pretty fast. And then mm. I um, ended up becoming transportation. I wanted to be in logistics, and I picked transportation because out of all the jobs I could do deployed, I wanted to do one that I could actually get out of a base. So I picked transportation over maintenance or over warehousing, like quartermaster. Mm -hmm. right. So um, did that, ended up going to my lieutenant school and then was working for um, someone in the transportation school that had connections at HRC and they were able to help get me to my number one choice, which was Fort Lewis. And so I was pinpointed to 3-2, um, now 1-2 SBCT. So the striker brigade there. And then I ended up in the BSB, which is 296 BSB. And they didn't have FSCs. So we were all um, in one giant battalion. Uh, it was probably like over 500 people. And we supported the whole brigade. And then um, that was about Thanksgiving time in 2011. And uh, some of the brigade had deployed around Christmas or around that time. And then the rest of it, probably three quarters of the brigade or two thirds of the brigade did a follow on. Uh, we followed on in March. So some of the brigade to include the headquarters went for a year. And then we only went for um, the nine month rotation. We were one of the first ones to switch from that 12 month to nine month rotation. Yeah, I believe we were, we were uh, one of the first, first to do that as well. Yeah. Like the whole I think brigade. The replaced had a. A year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So um, when I got to the unit, they kind of they assessed that I was extremely young in my knowledge base. I was like pretty much the equivalent of a civilian in ACUs. That was before <laughs> we had OCPs. And, uh, oh, so yeah. Those things are awful. Yeah. So they um, 
kind of like just assessed me for a little bit and saw that I guess I was dependable. And then um, they put me in uh, the convoy command convoy commander slot uh, to run convoys downrange, but I was the platoon leader for our security platoon. So the security platoon supported all of the resupply convoys for the entire brigade and then all of the units that we supported. So we were we called ourselves um, Combined Task Force Arrowhead. So um, we called ourselves that because we had other people underneath us, like the Romanian contingent. Mm-hmm. And then you guys were awesome. We also supported at least one company from 2-2. And there's probably plenty others that I am <laughs> leaving out. But that's kind of like how I got there. It was pretty fast and furious. Yeah, yeah it was very, awesome. Very similar to my my army path to to spare one guard. I mean, yeah, I feel like I mean, almost almost to a T, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 it's yeah. almost easier that way. I, yeah. I I believe so. I think mm-hmm. uh, from we were actually talking about this the other day because we we're we we're a mechanized infantry company. This is we're not they don't walk around, you know. So over time, these these mechanized infantry companies they get they get a little bit complacent in terms of their traditional infantry skills, i.e., fat. Driving around in tanks. Well, I picked I gonna, trucks I wasn't gonna for a reason, <laughs> so I don't blame you guys. <laughs> but, you know, right before the deployment, I, we were approximately at least half of our platoon, if not mm-hmm. 75%, were brand new, either from other units or had just PCS to Fort Stewart, straight out of basic training. I mean, to the point where we had maybe, what, three CIBs in our entire platoon? Like, maybe. And three people that had even, maybe 10 people that had even deployed at all. Um, so Much we were really, 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 really young. Yeah. Um, and I think fresh. that I think it benefited us because I know for me, I was never in better shape than I was at that point. Yeah, I was never more prepared to go on a deployment like that at that point. So, and also mentally, I was never more prepared to go on a deployment because like there's you also get out no of training, there's also like, no uh, frame of reference. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't that. have anything to cast it against when you went. So, I mean, did you find that to be a strength or something that didn't work out for you, Emily? Yeah, whenever you deployed. Yeah. No, I um. I mean, I was pretty gosh darn civilian when I showed up to my unit. So I I had a perception, but at the same time, I was like really open minded because Mm -hmm. I didn't have any accurate perception. And I, I, you know, I knew that. So I really listened. I know this is so funny, but my my senior drill sergeant, I'm going to send this to him. uh, He like would just be like, hey, just listen to your NCOs. And I'm like, all right, drill sergeant. And like he he met up with us at OCS. He was there for Pathfinder. And he said the same thing. I get to my first unit. I message him like on email and I'm like, hey, uh, what should I do? He's like, just listen to your platoon sergeant, listen to your NCOs. And like that was really mm-hmm. what I did. Mm-hmm. And that I can like echo that on and on. And so that really helped me out a lot. Not having any preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most universal advice that uh, junior officers get. Is listen to your NCOs. Yeah, dude, they just gotta listen to it. Just gotta listen, yeah. but and they gotta so find good NCOs like, too. They like they're like selective listening. It's like I want to listen to NCO <laughs> about this, but not this. But I also feel like <laughs> I also feel like there's there's there's, there's a danger in that too because some of your NCOs also don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. tough. Yeah. So no, gotta, I think I be, I knew so little that I was just like trying to absorb everything, sure. and then I would be like, should we do this or this? And then I, and they would give me some koas and I'd be like, all right. That one sounds better than that one, you know. So sure, but it's definitely well, a team team effort. Yeah. Well, I know in my fast and furious run up to arriving in Kandahar and Panjway, I was just tra- eagerly absorbing all the information that I could about where I was going. And we were talking about reading books, lines of Kandahar, 
uh, bear one over the mountain, like anything I can get my hands on that in my mind would prepare me thinking that for some reason as a PFC, it mattered if I had this contextual information. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah. I watched but what that. Were, what were you hearing or what were you doing to prepare yourself? I mean, it was a pretty intimidating picture that was painted by mm -hmm. the NCOs that had experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, just a lot of IED, counter IED training. Um, Did you get to do the one at CAF? The, the, oh, yeah, ID the one lane. with all the of lane. the yellow yes. oil drugs, mm -hmm. you know, the palm oil drugs. Oh yeah, and oh, the yeah. pressure. That's plates. actually one thing they got right. I'll give them. I'll give them credit on that yeah. one. Yeah, I got some stories about oil drugs <laughs> and <Yeah>. convoys. <laughs> They're not. It's kind of funny, um, but yeah. uh, it's only funny because, yeah, it's making fun of myself. Because they but, didn't explode. Yeah, they didn't explode. <laughs> but they were really intimidating looking. They were. <laughs> 25 a little 25 cent piece of plastic well you know after so you fear. get like three straight days of that CIED training like anything that moves yeah. you're like oh crap yeah. for like the oh, first listen, two weeks like, that you're on the road you're like yeah, yeah you're not alone there because like our after our first firefight as we were exfilling out I remember seeing one we had been briefed on these palm oil jugs yeah. I remember seeing one of those and it was just like sitting up out on the ground like yeah, yeah to totally pad. like by itself. Probably. And I was like, is that an ID? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know better at the time. And that's part of it. You were talking about having like a young crew. We were in the same boat out of 45-ish, give or take, like maybe 10 people had deployed before. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Um, and uh, thankfully, all of our... NCOICs, like our assistant convoy commanders, they all deployed before, but only one of the three security platoon leaders had deployed before. Mm. And I leaned like super heavily on him for everything. He was a prior E6, but super kind and understanding and like, but yeah, so we were yeah. really young and we were also mm. made up all the MOSs in the rainbow rainbow. We had like, my driver was a cook. Uh, we had mechanics. We had most of our 88 mics. So like the actual truck drivers sure. were running the resupply trucks. So mm. we would have like mechanics of all types. We had uh, fuelers. We had water dogs. Um, so uh, the two other. Yeah, the two other convoy commanders. One was like actually ordinance, which is like maintenance pretty much. Right. The other one was. Um, I don't know. He was probably ordinance too, but he wasn't <laughs> a transporter. So. <laughs> That's so just how we roll. Even with this uh, mixed bag of folks that you were bringing to the field there, what exactly was y'all's mission in regard to what was going on in Panjway? Yeah, um, basically just resupply and retrograde of anything that um, has to do with supporting the maneuver infantry battalions. Um, so we would run three main routes to support the entire brigade. Obviously, we would come down and see you guys in Panjway. We would go to uh, 123's headquarters. we go to Brigade headquarters. And then 117 Infantry had a headquarters down there as well at Soja. And um, then we would go north and we would support our field artillery and the Cav Squadron up in Kalat. And then we'd go down to Spinbaldak. So really, those were like three MSRs that all kind of um, spiderwebbed out from Kandahar. And um, we had three truck squads with three security squads, and then we would all rotate. So I um, made my first trip down to Panjway 
with 25th ID on our rib. And that was probably in uh, the end of March, I want to say. It's, Sounds about right. Yeah, mid end of March. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then so we did a few missions down there just so I could get the lay of the land. But then I ended up running missions up north to Kalat. And then I ended up going back down to Panchway probably in June, July, August time frame. So, um, but it was at night, so it wasn't super hot and it was at night, so it wasn't quite as busy on the roads. Um, so that was like done for a specific reason, um, because we had such large convoys and we had to go through Kandahar city. We were only allowed to travel at night. So yeah, we'd bring, um, you guys, everything we could to make your mission easier. Um, ammo, food, uh, water, class nine. So like repair parts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Food, water, you know, milk. Um, what else? When you went to Kalat, did you ever, did you ever see that, that fortress in Kalat? The one that was built by Alexander the Great? Yeah. Like every time. Cause it was cool. Yeah. It was in between, um, one, three, seven Logman and then one fourteen was at Apache. So it was like in the middle before they shut down Logman. It was just like up, it's like, up on that hill, yeah. yeah, up on that hill, and that it's right so by that cool. traffic circle, yeah. It's... It looks like it was built like out of modern concrete yesterday. It's just absolutely hmm. astounding that that is something that is thousands of years old. Yeah, yeah. and that's just and like, of course, you know, they, now there's a freaking base built into it. It's like, guys, come on, <laughs> <laughs> like satellite dishes on top of it. Like, come on, man. Uh, you know, if we aren't using it, maybe somebody else will be using it. That's is all I'm gonna say. Probably true, yeah. but. Um, but it, the really neat thing, like the last thing I'll say about the routes and like what, where we went, um, was like every single route was a hundred percent different than another route. Like, and you, and you probably know that Curtis with like the terrain was so different. Mm -hmm. Um, like spin ball deck, it was like the red desert and those like crazy smooth rocks that were like domed rock formations, giant Mm -hmm. though. And then up North, it was like high desert with like the beautiful mountains and the in the, on the horizon and um, that river, the Argandab, mm-hmm. isn't that? Yeah, is yep. that it? That's it. Yeah, That's the one. okay. <laughs> it was always dried out when I went up there. Thankfully, because we would have to like go down into it. Oh really? Um, and then like the grape grape huts and the mm-hmm. vast like green mm-hmm. foliage <laughs> in Panchway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I very mean, different. That's really. That's I think the the geographic and topographic diversity in Afghanistan is astounding. It really yeah. is. crazy. Because Panjway is only at like 2,000 feet above sea level or something like that. I, it's like 30, I looked it up recently. Or something it's like not that. that high, basically. Yeah. Versus the top of the mountains in Afghanistan are another 10,000, 13,000 feet above Panjway. Twenty, I think the highest mountain in Afghanistan is like 26,000, 25,000 feet. Mm. So, like, I mean, you have this incredible range of... of uh, you know, geography there and topography and your position, you got to see a lot of Afghanistan, a lot of Southwestern Afghanistan and Kandahar, which is kind of neat because something that we've talked about a little bit here is how, because of how focused our mission was, our little chunk of Afghanistan was so small that we would get myopic and tunnel vision Mm -hmm. and just really focus on that one's place and think about that one village or that one little stretch of road. But for your perspective, you're getting to see, a significant portion of the country. And that reminds me a lot of my deployment to Iraq. Cause like we saw all of Northern Iraq cause we drove yeah. everywhere, you know? Yeah. yeah. Or like my 17 deployment. I mean, I've seen, I think yeah. I measured out the square mileage. It was immense. You know, as far East as the, 
you know, the border with Pakistan up in Jalalabad, as far north as um, Kabul, a little bit north of that, and as far west as the Iranian border, down to the southern border in Kandahar. Like, it, Afghanistan is a stunningly beautiful country, and yeah. it is a shame that it's not possible to just go there and enjoy how beautiful it is. I know. I was. I always wish I kind of was able to get up north sometime, but mm-hmm, but we did get snow uh, and clot, and that was always a big pain. Really? So, wow. Yeah. 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 That sounds it was so not fun. fun. I think we yeah. saw snow once, like right before we left. It randomly like snowed like, oh, yeah, in, in the morning and then it was gone. It was gone yeah. immediately. Was when like, did you guys leave? December, December 7th. I think 7th? I think that was when I left. We were on no, the same no. flight. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I, I, I was on. I don't on... know if we left Afghanistan on the 7th or yeah. we got back on the 7th. That yeah, I, I can't remember either, but I, that mm. sounds familiar. I just, I was on torch, so I was like first on ground and I was on trail. You know how oh, that really? goes. It yeah. was like, sweet, <laughs> sign me up. Well, we, yeah. were, we were the trail element for our, well, that was weird because we've talked about how we were detached from 164 um, and then moved over to 123. But once we left Spurwangar and we were done combat operations, we got like Retagged back on to one six four, yeah, and fell back under their planning, which meant that nothing went you were the way like, they were supposed to. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we we claim one two three. <laughs> yeah, I know. I yeah. love it. Um, for the most part. Uh, and and one six four has a wonderful heritage. I don't hate the the one six four heritage. I'll always the, remember one six four. Because you guys Please tell would... me a wonderful story about something 164 did at Kandahar. Well, I mean, they were just always in charge of uh, the QRF when we got IDF. So I spent many a night slash early morning in a bunker thinking about 164 <laughs> as they were trying to find the point of origin <laughs> for where the IDF came from. Oh, man. We could expand on that indefinitely. Uh, we'll... No, it's all we shouldn't that's pull an, that. That's our last. That's our last podcast. That's our last no, podcast all, episode. <laughs> we, we no, no, no. No, it's all good. They kept us safe, and they were actually. Um, they were in our little like housing AO or like where we bedded down our little chew, chew yeah. nation on um, what was it called? Uh, we were in like South Park. Is the name of the the compound area that we were like uh-huh. had our setup at. So yeah, sure. they were really, they, when they moved in, they moved in like right next door and they would like roll their mat V's like right up next to our shoes. It was kind of cool. I was like, all right, you do you boo boo. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's about all I know. And then I know you guys obviously were at Spurungar and we would like pass and wave y'all, wave at y'all. Yeah. Well, it was usually pretty dark by the time we passed you guys at yeah. night. Yeah. I think, I mean, we were talking earlier in the pre-interview about, when the when the convoys would roll onto the cop, and I I can remember very very few times, because um, usually I was either on guard or I was asleep. So yeah, um, and yeah, I know they, they had like we had like our own detachment. Uh, we had the mayor's cell, and it was their responsibility to deal with like the oh receiving the, of the receiving and yeah, stuff, yeah so helping unload and stuff. And if there were people around that weren't doing something, um, then they would grab them, which meant that I made it a point never to be around, seen, not doing anything. <sighs> Um, Our guys pretty much did it all because we'd roll up in the middle of the night and pretty much true. everyone would be asleep. Yeah. So we would just have like, we would make comms with who we needed to make comms with, but that mm-hmm. was pretty much it. Like pretty much a point of contact to let them know their stuff got there. But right. we were pretty used to being independent at 2 a.m. 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting when you mentioned uh, that you were spending most of your most of the convoys were at night, and we've talked about it before. It's odd that the Taliban just refused to be nocturnal. You know, they they I we never got into a gunfight at night. It's so strange. Um, they they even would turn off the IEDs at night. It's just like when when the sun went down, they're like, "Hey, man, truce for the next couple hours," um, and then they would just kind of hold off. But they, I mean dusk and dawn they would fight until <laughs> until they were they were bored but in the dead of the night man those guys i guess they just liked sleeping and they didn't like not being able to see yeah we were really thankful for that i guess you know they just knew that you guys um own the night and that if you did mess with us then they yeah. would be dealt with accordingly so they didn't want to have any of that because we were pretty um we were very lucky that we were never directly engaged or, and um, we had a very relatively quiet time in regard to like taking any contact. So yeah, it's yeah, I mean, can't honestly, that, about that. That really surprises me. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that you guys didn't get hit by small arms because, like we were just saying, you know, the Taliban didn't mess around at night because they knew that they didn't stand a chance really. Mm-hmm. But I can't believe you guys got lucky on the IED front. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, because I mean, um, that stretch to Kandahar is dangerous. Big yeah, we just dangerous. we just yeah. drive really fast. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what no, he does too. Yeah, <laughs> no, we. Um, I mean, and really, because it was hardball, like mm-hmm. we can't check every culvert. Yeah, it's we had these like sweet throw bots, these robots that we could check out. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? It would take us three days to get down there if we did yeah. that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so we would just we would just go like. Uh, Obviously, we're looking out for anything that looked unusual. Mm-hmm. There's really only so much you can see at night when you're going like 45. So your headlights can only reach so far. But I think too, right. like we did roll pretty deep, and we did have like we did have some intimidating cruiser weapons, and mm-hmm. I mean we we were as aggressive we as we could be, you know, on the road. Yeah, but mm-hmm. at night there's really not that many people out. We could zip through um, Kandahar City, so there was like two main routes that we would take down to you guys. We would either cut through all the way through Kandahar City straight to Hyena on Route One, and then head south, mm-hmm. um, which was super easy. I think we had like a couple traffic circles, and then um, or we would go back on Black Ice. I think it, Black Ice was like familiar. in the city. But um, I can't remember the one that that parts off of Hyena. I try to remember, but I can't. But I know so Black Ice is up there. So the one that goes south at the district center, and then it goes down. It's got the back way into Calf. Yeah. 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 yeah so we, there was that was like our two main routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny when I went back in seventeen, they asked us to do a, a route recon from Pasab all the way down to Calf, and they wanted to do that route. And luck would have it, I had driven it before, you know, five years prior. But it was hilarious, me trying to recount that route from the air. Like, yeah. turn left. No, no, shit. Go back. Go back. Go back to the intersection. I got it wrong. Like, I, I mean, we got, we figured it out. Um, just you know, trying to figure it the path, out. But that it sounds was terrifying. Well, I mean, I, I was, I, I was in an Apache helicopter. There was okay, no risk okay. to me. But... <laughs> okay. I was like, what? Um, but I mean, if I'd been asked to drive it, I think I probably could have figured it out just because of the ground level perspective. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, we turn left here and we go right. Well, the right. roads too being paved, like mm-hmm. we did once you got up to the city on the back route, it the paved it wasn't so paved, but mm-hmm. yeah, 
that was probably the sketchiest part was like we we skirt the southern the um southeast side of the city and it was like dirt rutted out right next to a giant culvert with like yes um that with the like mud walls on the other side yeah the compounds and you had nowhere to go so it's like i remember about that route is there was that there was that really deep culvert and it had no bridges over it you actually had to drive all the way to the end of the culvert and then basically make a U-turn around the culvert and then go back the other side and go back the way you came. It's very productive. Yeah, and that, that little that little U-turn around there was probably, I don't know how there wasn't an IED in that every yeah. single time. Because it was the greatest choke point <laughs> in the entire area for vehicles. Yeah. Because no vehicle could make that. Like a truck would have to make like a 300 if, point turn. Yeah, 300 I've point turn. It. It, was, it was horrible. And even with the mine roller and the map Vs, you, you almost, it was rare to make it on one, one try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was pretty much it. And we would hit um normally every time it would be Mossamgar, Zangabad, and obviously they resupply to you guys. And then we would come back up and hit Soja, which I wanna is a field say now. Is it a field now? <laughs> yeah, it was on its way to be obliterated. It was yeah. on its way to being a field, let's be honest, back in twenty twelve. <laughs> huge base. I never understood that base. It was gigantic. Like they had a firing and point. And they had there. no stuff in there no but they had a firing point they had a triple seven i only know this because they would shoot it and it would scare me very very bad they wouldn't (laughs) tell me they were firing and and uh and they had really good food for some reason they They had like contracted food and their fruit Mm -hmm. was delish (laughs) yeah they they hung out for a while way more than i think that they were relevant but Hmm. Probably because there were contracts that extended it to a certain hmm. date and they couldn't break so they it. they had to yes. occupy it because of the contracts. Yeah. I will not so confirm you, or you... deny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As the logistician. Um, so a big part of your mission was supplying those units in uh, in the Horn, also Zari. So uh, Mazengar and... Um, Zangabad in particular, what was your relationship like with the, the two units that, that were there? Yeah, so I'll start with Brigade Headquarters first. At Mossamgar, uh, we just like one, two, three, really, uh, we resupplied the, the same thing. So like mail, pretty much mail every other trip, uh, food, water, repair parts to repair all the strikers uh, for the maintenance guys to take care of stuff. Um, sometimes we would, Masamgar was like a good place for the, the chaplain underground. And I would bring massive amounts of K cups to the chaplain at brigade mm-hmm. headquarters. But, um, really we would just roll in there at night and, um, just go to work. So we do the same thing at one, two, three, but the difference with brigade headquarters is I would like jump and like walk up to the talk and like check in with everyone and um, I would go to the Brigade S4 shop and steal all their food. So <laughs> that was unique. <laughs> I think they knew I was doing it, but it's okay. Um, That's customary. That, that is, is what you do when you go to yeah. somebody else's base yeah. is you like raid them. You raid well, them. Especially if they're asleep. And, uh, <laughs> especially, if too. Yeah, especially if they're asleep. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty much um, all we did there. It was pretty easy to navigate because... It was a pretty good setup. It just had the HLZ in the center. So we would like r- roll in and like loop around the HLZ and, mm-hmm. g- and just go out to the next Park place. Park around so. the HLZ and do what you need to do. And, yeah. yeah. And the then. The worst HLZ on any FOB ever. What I was that? Maintain. It's the worst HLZ I've ever seen on a it's FOB It's so small. Ever. That's where I got promoted. It's super small. To it's first it's lieutenant. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you on got the promoted HLZ. on the you got promoted on the HLZ at Mazumgar. Yeah, I t- we tried oh, really? to go up on the mountain to draw fire. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we we tried to go up there, but I don't know why we didn't. I think we were just short on time. And then um, yeah, so I got promoted there. It was a super sweet photo photo op, to be honest. Very cool. Yeah, but yeah, um, nice. yeah, so we go from there, and then we go down to one, two, three, and there they were my favorite. And I don't know why. I think just. Uh, there's probably a ton of reasons. They were really nice um, in the talk and they were really easy to support and they were super appreciative. And so, um, I mean, it doesn't take much to win me over, yeah. but um, they were just really nice. So we always looked out. I always looked out for them. Um, and same thing there. They're the, the thing that was unique about uh, Z-Bad was they always had battle damage strikers Mm-hmm. every time so every time we went down there we were usually bringing them a new striker and then picking up one that was destroyed so that would usually take longer than at other places just because it was like a puzzle and you're trying to fit a blown up striker that is in op and drag right. it and put it on the back of a hat which we weren't even trained on uh, we weren't even trained on how to use those vehicles until we got downrange so that was like an awesome feat for the distro guys that they were able to do that but unfortunately, sometimes that could take like an hour or a couple hours. So yeah. that specific part of the mission would always be what determined how long our overall mission would be. Mm. So, um, I mean, Zagabad is a very unique fob in that it is deeply entrenched in enemy territory. Yeah. Most fobs are kind of set back with a lot of standoff. They got big open spaces between them and any kind of any kind mm-hmm. of threat area. But I mean, to drive to Zangabad is literally driving through the hottest AO in like in that I mean, area. And the nearest the nearest grape hut that they could lob RPGs from is like 100 meters oh, from right the front there. gate. You know, it's, it's right like there, right in yeah. the mm-hmm. right in the thick of it. So it, it is unique in that regard. It almost feels like a cop. It that does. Fob. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. only, I think I only went there during the day once, and I had been on a mission. It was the same time that I went to Spermgar actually. So we were. We were all over the place that day. And so I'd only been there once during the day. So like I never really got to take it all in. And even right. that one time, I wasn't even, I was in the back of someone else's truck. So I didn't even get to see anything when I was driving there during the daytime. But so that was like probably a good thing. Probably also good that we didn't truly understand what you guys were do. I mean, we knew what you were doing every day. And we went to all the Purple Heart ceremonies. Like our battalion would go to Purple Heart ceremonies at the Roll 3 and we would go to Ram ceremonies. So like, don't get it wrong we knew what you guys were doing but i didn't know what was happening in regards to like operations so i didn't get to see all that it was probably a good thing or i would have been more nervous than i already was but really once we started heading south from highway one like we just kind of turned on and you know everything got a little more serious the chatter kind of died down on the radio and you're just like your alerts up and then once you pass Mossamgar is like a different level. You're at like a 12. And yes. then, um, yeah, you're just like, we would be driving along and we'd be moving pretty quick and I would just like be looking for who knows what, but just at the same time kind of thinking like, wow, this is crazy Yeah. at some points. But, um, but yeah, you it wrong was... for doing so. I mean, <laughs> there was some, uh, <laughs> that was pretty spicy territory down there. Yeah, we were, yeah, I mean, we were really lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, We would just, you know, go as we were trying to get from point A to point B as quickly and as efficiently as possible without 
um, anything happen to us or us causing damage to anyone else and get all the stuff to you guys so you guys could do your job. Um, so that was super rewarding for me that as a young 24-year-old transportation officer, like not a lot of people get to have that experience. And then right. it's definitely taught me to appreciate things. It's taught me that um, you know what we do. What we do as a profession is like, truly life and death. And I've been able to take that take that forward with me. So I'm really thankful for my experiences. And then, and like I said before, really thankful I could support you guys, and our, we could support you guys and what you guys do. So yeah, and it, it was important. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we we've mentioned a few times, you know, the the supply issues that we ran into a couple times on the deployment, and. You know, we didn't we didn't realize until we talked to you that you were actually part of one of those rescue operations. Oh yeah, rescue, um, <laughs> aka uh, delivering of the milk. Yeah, the milk. Um, you guys were black on milk. Yeah, <laughs> it's not some, good. Some somebody complained to a two star general that we we didn't have enough milk, and that created a an it urgent happens. last minute mission for you it guys. So we apologize. <laughs> no, it happens. Um, really, like food, food and milk apparently. Uh, like fresh fruit, like mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. are the things that really make a huge difference in morale. War and like, hell. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was a good one. And I and my buddy JD was actually on that mission, and he was kind of the guy that he was our pinch hitter. So whenever there was like a one-off mission that wasn't in our normal lineup, he would get like called off the bench. And mm -hmm. um, so he actually ran that one. But I, he was telling me about how. Um, he brought y'all like a ton of milk. Like we heard you need a milk and we just gave you enough milk for like two years and that you guys were like, no, we're good. We don't need any more milk. And he's like, no, you're going to take it. Like it's on the truck. You're taking it. So hopefully yeah. there's still milk there. Yeah. Well, now. there's not, there's nothing <laughs> <Dang> there. <now. laughs> don't tell, uh, don't tell the geo please. No, I'm kidding. What's funny. And, and you should, you should definitely relay this to JD is probably the reason we're like, oh my God, we don't need this much milk is. In addition to that supply of milk, he also flew a Blackhawk out to us literally the next morning what? with like a pallet of milk. That's amazing. So like, like General Abrams is a real G. Like yeah. He he took care of us immediately. It was a pallet of milk and a like couple cases bunch, of forty millimeter grenades. Yeah, bunch of yeah that's so yeah. cool. I th it's unfortunate that that happened. Uh, you know, like that it got to geo level. We couldn't figure it out. But cereal does not taste the same. So I get it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it but was, I mean, when a general uh, asks you, like, what do you have that you, what do you need that you don't have? And you're I sitting in a defect. Like, you want, look around at food. Yeah. I would be like, I want a massage table and a masseuse. We also have. <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably we, not milk. I'd be like, shoot, for a massage. That might have been. I'd be been, uh, shooting for the moon. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> no, I get it. Sometimes milk is like. Yeah. Like when you want your cereal, it's the real deal. But it is, I'm not making light of it. It's just, um, it's funny that we have that connection. Like, yeah. oh, I heard of that. And um, and you guys deserve it for sure. I blame one, two, three. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I'll bring you whatever it's, it's, you need. It's We're not really sure who to blame for that one. Because one, two, three traditionally took really, really, really good care for, of us. For the milk. We know who to blame for the for the forty mm mic. For the mil yeah, forty millimeter, we knew who to blame. That that yeah. was squarely on our uh, our OG command at one six four, who did not believe us that you needed when we it. told them that we were shooting that much forty millimeter. So to the 
XO. That would have been too easy for us to get you some. Well, I had your, if I had your Instagram account back then, yeah. I just would have DM'd you. Like, hey, let's get <laughs> some milk. Let's go. <laughs> we need some 40 bike bag. And be like, put it on the truck. Put it on the truck. Um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was a pretty wild connection. We asked him for bombs, too, and he did, he did give us some of those, too. So Hopefully they were accurate. Uh, well, as accurate as they were allowed to be, we got to, they bombed open fields for us. Oh, cool. <laughs> Thanks. I support it. Show uh, force. Yeah. Show force. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Know. That's great. I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Things things went boom and we cheered. It's fine. This is General Abrams, to be queer. Yes, yeah, General I know. Abrams. He signed my end of tour yeah. award. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, General <laughs> <Nice>. Abrams? <laughs> he was the one that uh, let us, gave us milk. Yeah, and let us drop bombs. Give them milk <laughs> and let us drop bombs. Yep. Yeah. Let them drink milk. He he undid everything. Our, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a morale patch floating around there. Like, drink milk. Yeah. Be yeah. Like, yeah. It's just with this photo on it, like yeah. <laughs> knife panda. I support it. It's good. That'd be pretty great, actually. I'm I think we're gonna have him idea. on. I think if we keep doing this the right way, that he'll agree to join us. Yeah, he, he does follow us on Twitter, so that is amazing. No big deal. Yeah. Um, no, I um, JD was telling me about his connection to your unit and he's like well it's just because he was in it like not just because but like probably has a little bit to do with it which oh, is yeah. so neat 100 yeah. percent. yeah i love it. it when i'm uh a general of a geographic combatant command i'm gonna do the same thing no i'm not because it's <laughs> never gonna happen but if i well, were he, he had a little bit of a, a soft spot for yeah. his we, were, we were his golden boys man because we were yeah. like the only people in third id in Afghanistan at that time, that was like getting the shit, doing it, you know, doing yeah. it, doing it. And we, yeah. we no got tanks there needed. a couple months yeah. before. So they had they did de- uh, a brigade deployment right as we were leaving. So one of our brigades did a deployment to Afghanistan, and then another one did. So we were a little bit ahead of the de- the brigade deployments. So we were like the test bed. We we're we we're kind of the it was us and one other battalion, and they were supporting ODAs. Um, one six four was doing their calf rocket stuff. Uh, we had a company at uh, Kenjikak, which is really near, really near Sojo, and they were getting into yeah. it too. Yeah. Um, and then there was us, who was just you know, we were attached to one, two, three, and just getting lit up. So he he came and visited us a few times, just because we were so high profile for him being the third ID unit in that area. Um, I can what at least three or four times he visited. Yeah, that's so awesome, and it's such a unique place to be. I mean, it's just like kind of cool to visit yeah yeah although the one time i did visit you guys i uh i'm sorry but i was really tired and i took a nap on the back of the (laughs) ramp and i didn't i didn't even go anywhere i just sat on the truck because i was so it was the same day i got promoted and i was a sleepy lieutenant about when was that Mm, i think that was august because that was at the the probably towards the end when i was done running missions down there so i went on a mission the night before and then I got back to Cap, and I went, took a quick shower, and then I hopped on JD's truck, sat in the back of his truck, and then we drove all around. And that was just for my promotion, and the battalion commander, Colonel Siegel, was um, doing kind of like a BFC. He would go visit the BSB soldiers that were attached forward, mm-hmm. so like at brigade headquarters and at 123. And then I think you guys were actually having a ceremony that day. For so, probably for someone, so that's what I think lot. we went yeah. for, and that's okay. also I th- I think I wasn't allowed to go. I think JD was like, no, like it's just going to be me and the colonel. So they like went off, and then we just like all kind of chilled on the truck. Huh. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't know. That's that was the story, but I was really yeah. tired. 
and I fall asleep in the sun and I got a sunburn. So well, I can tell you I've spent many times sleeping on, around, or in vehicles sitting at a base that I had no business being there while somebody else was doing something. Yeah, okay. So, so I'm in good company. You're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm kind of bummed because I heard like, I, I mean, I heard from my buddies and then I heard from you guys like how awesome of a setup you had. It but was pretty sweet. We had a new bar, no big deal. I know. <laughs> we had we had computers. We had we had, we had, we had one computer. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, for what for where we were and the I mean we've beaten this setup. horse to death, but we had a it, really, yeah, really good nice setup. setup. I heard really, you guys really had nice an setup. awesome doc. That's what my buddy JD kept saying. He's like, No, mm-hmm. they're med- medical setup, they're med med shed. So mm-hmm. that's like good. Yeah. You guys yeah, we had we had a phenomenal good actually our medical center was better than the medical center they had at the district center. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. Which For is sure. sad. Yeah, but we would just drive by y'all. Sometimes you guys had a Matt V set up somewhere. All mm-hmm. in security, maybe. I don't know. I would see your icons on the the BFT and be like, oh, there they are. Yeah. Yeah. But usually that was when we had uh, additional security beefed up when the green on blue thing was really bad. Oh, yeah. That thing. When yeah. that ramped up that summer. Yeah, that was not very comforting yeah how did that affect your, your guys's operations so it was interesting because um when that incident happened out in marine land at leatherneck right um when they did that they breached the base mm-hmm. yep that they destroyed happened. most of the marine corps harrier fleet <laughs> yeah that coupled with the green on blue within the brigade like mm-hmm. tensions were super high yeah. Um, so like we went to the whole like three three man buddy team, fire team. Guardian like, Angels. Yeah. I say fire team loosely. Um for like whenever we were moving around and then we would keep guys on an open turret whenever we were um conducting resupply just as an overwatch. And then I actually like did much better with bringing a soldier with me on the base, like on different bobs at night, just so I wasn't right. like caught alone. Cause like, Good especially call. at like Zingabad and Soja. Mm-hmm. They have an AA um, contingent there on the base. Yeah. And it was a little more sketchy. And I just remember going out right after some of them happened and just having that weird feeling like on when you're like on a base, I remember we had a, we were coming back home once from visiting you guys down south and we were in kandahar on that back route so it was like not ideal and the hat yeah. one of the um, wheels on the trailer of the hat uh, brakes got caged so it, like was smoking and it probably could have caught on fire and i straight up asked my into i see i'm like do we stop in front of the amp compound or do we like push through the city and get out of the city like where is the strategically more secure place to pull our convoy over mm-hmm. and we stopped outside the amp compound because we, you know, hoped that it was safe. Thankfully, it was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing happened. But the fact that you had, like, that wasn't a concern that we had at the beginning of the deployment. Sure. So that was definitely something that changed over time. It was kind now, of, a lot of unfortunate. A lot of the convoys that you guys ran, you had local national vehicles inside the convoy, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that did the, the, the threat, like the insider threat kind of combined come from within the convoy no so they did they do a really good job especially at calf which is where we get the the trucks come to us at of going through like a ton of security we would take their cell phones Mm -hmm. and then we would take their 
um, oh, the little, like, they ping on the, why can't it, like, oh, I'm the worst logistician ever, but I'm not really a logistician anymore, so it doesn't count. Um, they're, like, tags that, like, when you hit certain things, it'll, like, scan them so they can track where they're at. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Okay. Just edit that out, please. No. Um, <laughs> no the power I'm of editing. editing. Uh, yeah. No. What is RFID tags, kind of. Oh, okay. They're kind of uh, like RFID tags, but they're like transponders and they're usually they're on commercial trucks, but we would kind of confiscate those too so they couldn't be plugged in and have power to them. Right. Um, but they were they were more of a liability than a threat. I guess if that makes sense, right? right. Just because they are, their trucks would always break, and they would drive really, really slow at very, very inconvenient times. Sure. Um, or they would just kind of cut off and do their own thing in Kandahar. Like we would have them just turn when we would turn left, but they would go straight type right. thing. So that was always fun. Um, but they were terrified. They were probably more scared than we were to be in in our convoys. At least the ones that we had. Because they didn't want to get caught by the Taliban for supporting us and working with us. So especially going to Panjway, like I haven't had more terrified um, local national drivers than the ones we had going down to Panjway. They just didn't want to go down there because it was more dangerous. But we so we would try to explain to them they would be safe, like a bubble of protection from the IEDs, you know, like that's common knowledge stuff, but just try to explain it to them. And then we would just tell them to drive fast. If they drove slow, we were going to leave them. And they usually listened to that. So sometimes we had to like give them gentle reminders with our bumpers. (laughs) It was just like set up before if you are not rubbing, you are not racing. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they probably also didn't like going because often they got left they, got, they right. had to stay at the cops and the fobs and there was wait one... for their next escort. So they'd be sitting on Sperlingar for four days without their cell phone. <laughs> yeah, and they needed an escort. Mm-hmm. And there was one that my buddy JD told me about that he wouldn't go to Panjway. He didn't want to go to Zangabad because he didn't want to get left there. And we told him, well, I didn't tell him, but JD was like, all right, I'll bring you back. And they got him back, but I don't know if that was the way his truck was still in Panjway. So I'm not sure if that yeah. was legit but we had to make the mission happen like mm-hmm. i think working in that organization i learned that we never say no like we always try to find a, we always try to find a way to say yes and i don't think we ever really said no we did some crazy support missions um we moved 520 and i think it was 117 i'm not sure like... we totally flipped them from like Pasab to spin Baldak and like relocated two battalions like on the fly while we were still supporting the entire brigade at the same time. So um, we always did our best to support the brigade. Uh, we had some hiccups, you know, so, some hiccups along the way, but we all came back in one piece. And um, so that was really good. And then uh, we all learned a lot, I think, and grew grew as people, all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, that was one thing we, we kind of hit on a little bit in the pre-interview and, you know, Luke and I have talked about this a little bit is uh, uh, the difference of experiences um, and, and what, what that really means. And, you know, one thing that I've, I've always observed is that everybody, everybody works, you know, mm-hmm. everybody works hard. You know, you're talking about moving entire battalions across AEOs, um, you know, for work, you know, I can't even imagine how awful 
<laughs> that, yeah, that, that of, a, of a logistical nightmare that is. <laughs> yeah. I would rather walk 20 kilometers in Pandre than try to wrap my mind around moving an entire fob <laughs> across an AO. Weeks. Yeah. yeah. And when I think about like the logistics of when they were closing bases down or like reconsolidating to the fobs, I'm like, I'm so glad I had nothing to do with that. Nothing sounds more awful than that. Um, so when, when people talk about, you know, the difference of experiences in war or in Panjwe or in Afghanistan, you know, you have to take into consideration, you know, you didn't do what they did and they didn't do what you did. But it doesn't mean that everybody wasn't like sucking yeah. and hating their life at some point. And yeah. if you weren't, then, yeah, well, you know, you were in the Air Force. That's fine. I know. Yeah, no, I really, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think that's something I've sometimes have thought about, like, uh, is my sacrifice as valid as somebody else's, you know, like, we're all, it really, it is, like, we all are in the same team, like, I love supporting um, all the different battalions within the brigade, um, I loved my guys that helped us make the mission happen, um, we all, it was pretty stressful running missions every single day. If we weren't running a mission, we were preparing for a mission. So right. mm-hmm. we were on the road every day. And although we got um, really lucky, like it was still kind of stressful. And there was still a big possibility of something happening. Um, we did have a really nasty rollover in one of our other squads. We had a MRAP taken off a of Highway 1 by a, um, I want to say it was like one of those Toyota four-door SUVs. Mm-hmm. It was like... I don't know what they're called. It's not a Hilux, but... The Land Cruisers? Yeah, you know, those old school ones. The one that we um, were... So they were told if you see one of those, you need to report it because there's not very many of those in the country. Nobody told us that. Maybe that's why (laughs) they they tried to take us out. Yeah, we... we, uh, They were going like probably 50, 55, Mm -hmm. and they were passing one of our gun trucks on the left and a bus was coming at on the other way so they cut off the gun truck and they like rolled did a rollover into a wadi at like 55 miles an hour with an open turret uh. uh so that wasn't good so you know like we didn't hit any ieds or take any direct fire that actually hit us but um you know we still had we had some scares some terrifying incidents thankfully everybody walked away we had um the, the gunner was okay, and my Charlie Med for sergeant was in the back of the truck, so he was a good witness. He said nobody did anything wrong, so that was good. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so we still – it's still stressful. We still got to, like, plan for the worst, hope for the best. Um, well, the thing is you get put into that situation, and you, you really – you don't get to decide if something happens or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was – I'm – like Luke said, I'm astounded that you guys didn't get hit by something. I mean, really driving routes that you did. Man. I mean, because there, I mean, I, there was times where I actually like I didn't want to go to calf because I thought that's like asking route was for too a dangerous. Two hundred and fifty pound <laughs> IED just like fucking rip through your truck, you know? Yeah, so, we would. There was one time that we did go down, and then we came back, and there was a giant hole in the road, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Sweet!" So that was a little I bit of a gut check. Hole. Yeah, I remember that hole. <laughs> I know where that hole is. That's just you just take route black down and take a little bit of left, start heading yeah. towards Kandahar, and it's on that it's on that stretch of road where you find it's one of the few chances you get to open up a Mat V. Oh yeah, yeah. Put it up That's against the governor and get your seventy miles an hour, but then you have to slow down because of that blast crater in the middle of the road. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh. if you don't, you're gonna hit that really hard. Oh, and we're totally talking really about. Mad. I thought you were kidding, but we are talking about the exact same one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we like we like drove. We drove past it. We came back. Like, there was nothing there. We came back, and we're like, holy crap. Mm. So, Big one. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we got into some accidents. You know that uh, Afghan people drive a lot differently than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, saw some crazy stuff happen on the roads. Saw some other countries do some crazy things that I won't talk about. But ROEs are all different in NATO. That's the beauty of yeah. it. So, um, so we got to see a lot, and I got to learn a lot, and it really, you know, made helped shape me into the young field grade officer that I am today. I say that I can't believe I'm a field grade officer. Um, <laughs> but and as a reminder, really, I guess yeah. Emily or uh, Major Tucker, for you, those of you that are still active duty, yeah. um, is a uh, is is a major. And, I know. Well, and what are you doing right now? So right now I'm in school. Somehow they somebody deemed me worthy of coming to Naval War College, which is in Newport, Rhode Island, and hanging out with a bunch of joint field grades going to my ILE equivalent. Um, mostly Navy, but also a ton of Air Force, Marines. Am I missing anyone? I don't think so. Oh, we do have Department of State. Um, so that's kind of neat, too. So we have civilians here. They're all super amazing. They bring a different perspective. A uh, great thing about coming here is you get to like not necessarily think about the army for a whole year. So mm. don't think it could have come at a better time. Well, I mean, combined with the fact that you're at a naval war college and and also with COVID, when is the last time you wore an army uniform? It's been a it's been a really long time. <laughs> um, it was last fall. I nice. had to do it, and that was like just because I was doing something like special on the side. It didn't have anything to do with yeah. what I was doing here. And then before that. I had to do some stuff during COVID for my last organization, but we were on telework most of the time. So probably before that, like July. So I've probably worn a uniform like twice since July. Nice. That's okay. It's a nice break. And I think... Yeah. Um, you get to pretend like you're a civilian for a little bit. Oh, it's so amazing. And it's like a real, <laughs> it's like a real education. Mm-hmm. Like we have legit like professors. It's not just right. a bunch of military professors. So it's like, yeah. it's such a break. Like, I feel like I can think about something for more than 20 minutes. Because you know how it is in, like, day-to-day army. It's like, we have, the world is on fire. Like, mm-hmm. fix it. And <laughs> if we don't find this connex, the Russians are going to invade and kill everybody. And if yeah. you don't check the box on this PFC, America's going to fall apart at the seams. It's true. <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> no, so it's been it's been super nice. Um, I'm not a logistician anymore, so that's kind of like exciting to think about my future career field in information operations, the gray zone. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, what can you are you able to explain a little bit about what that what the information operations field is is or is becoming? Yeah, so um it is a lot of things so there's a lot of information related capabilities that make up io and um i haven't gone to the qualification course yet so uh don't hold it against me if i forget any but it's like um psychological operations electronic warfare cyber um there's just like I said me, so there's just Mm. a lot of different things that fall under it and then ios are kind of like the expert that coordinates everything so think of like a conductor of an orchestra and everything is in perfect tune with one another and you're and you use those effects to um, potentially a, use against an adversary or you sure. um, also use it in, as to plan defensive defensively for us. So mm-hmm. 
I, you know, did 10 years in as log- in logistics, as a logistician, loved it. It was super fun, but I was ready for a new challenge. And um, after working in a PSYOP organization, I kind of saw a little bit of that and I thought it was really fun. So this was just a natural progression for me and for the next 10 years of my career, hopefully, or more if I like it. We'll see. Yeah. So. I'll always be a loggy at heart, though, like, because I'm still technically a logistician. It's just my fun- functional area. Um, and I could always go back to logistics, but I just wanted to try something new. So, yeah, hopefully well, that sounds be like cool. a lot of the stuff that you'll be doing is a lot of stuff that was very, very important to what, what we were doing in the Afghanistan. And yeah, 12, messaging even. and all that messaging stuff that mm-hmm. you're talking about, the the bubble of safety with the uh, the electronic jamming systems, yeah. the. So are you going to hack Russian Facebook to influence their next election? I will not confirm or deny. No, I'm kidding. Um, Spoiler alert, Putin wins. No. <laughs> yeah, I just think that um, as we move forward, like we're probably not going to be fighting the same wars we've fought the last 20 years. Yeah, for sure. The so, digital Cold War is definitely on the horizon. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just have a... Um, I love training... But I also love deploying. And if I'm going to, you know, like, I couldn't imagine training for the next 10 years, you know, and not being able to get what we did, get what we get, like, to get to do what we did in Panjway, you know, like, that's why I joined, not to go to CTC rotations for the rest of my life. But, um, Yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it's a pretty common issue right now with going on with the military is that the reality of those those deployments is dwindling down to zero rapidly. Yeah. It's basically and yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the guys that have the most experience and, and, and gals that have the most experience, you know, they're looking at that patch chart and it's looking really empty and the opportunity to get I to have, use your experience is just. Yeah. I think I have like 130 months of dwell time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it's not because I haven't tried. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't. I'm not chasing. I was never chasing any deployments. But sure. if I would have, if I didn't get selected to come to school here, I probably would be back with Fourth SFAB, uh, doing logistics advising. So, and then before that, you know, I tried to get on any wise tasker under the sun in my yeah. previous organization, but it just the timing just didn't work out. So and it's hard. I mean, ev- ev- I mean, everyone that has the flexibility to do so is also doing that. Yeah. Also mm-hmm. trying to make moves that can. Allow, and it's not about, like you said, it's not about deployment chasing. It's just about, I want to do my job. Yeah. I don't want to go to NTC or JRTC. Supporting like you guys and guys like you guys was literally the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And like, I would go to the USO and like steal a million for any soldier boxes. And I would go to different fobs and just like give them to whoever I came across, like lower like um a younger ranking soldier you know like Mm -hmm. um and that was just like super rewarding and when soldiers are like what'd you bring us today ma'am you know like or what'd you bring us tonight did you bring us food because i've been eating hash rounds for the last three weeks you know like (laughs) or did you bring us mail because like mail is like the coolest thing so when you especially when you know you're waiting for a package Mm -hmm. um so that was truly like so few people um in my year group or like, you know, by my age got to do that when they were a young lieutenant. So I definitely don't take it for granted. And I don't want war, you know, but 
being able to do your job for the real deal is like super rewarding. So that's all I mean by that. I'll do all the CTC rotations under the sun, but (laughs) you do learn a lot. I hate saying it. Like I, I volunteered to stay to do a warfighter in my last organization just because I knew I was going to learn a lot. So Uh it's all about that too. My whole thing too in the army right now is if I'm not learning something new every year, then I'm like stagnant. So that's well, kind of how I look at thing. it. A lot of people are stagnant. You know, how much, there's only so much, uh, especially when you get into the combat arms. This is not yeah, a criticism right. of combat arms. Obviously, I'm a big fan. But there's only so much you can learn. Yeah, how many different ways can you drive a tank? How many different ways can you shoot a howitzer? Yeah. That's different. <laughs> no, I think this portion I mean, of the podcast brought to you by the Security Force Advising Brigade. Yeah, that's fabulous. No, I think I agree. I understand. Um, and I empathize for sure. Like, how many schools can you go to? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky, in combat arms. If you're lucky to even be able to go to a school, yeah, to, right, that yeah. depends. At JBLM, um, I, I, they wouldn't send us TDY anywhere. Uh-huh. Like, we we're way out there by ourselves. So. Um, yeah, I get that for sure. But that's why I want to try something new. I'm, I'm passionate about it. Being at the War College, we really um, look look at much larger strategic problem sets. And so I think that like doing IO, I'm still I'm going to be able to support the warfighter still. It's just at a completely different level. And uh, it will be very different. So well, what I want to try and this uh, this episode will be a little bit into season two, but you're actually, I think, our other than our like uh, our discussion with the Bales um, guys, which we did a long time ago, you're our first guest that we really didn't know at all prior to this uh, this discussion and inviting you on for the interview. So for those guests that we had, you know, very little um, connection with previously, we're going to give as we close out the interview, we're going to give you a chance to ask each of us a question before we give you the floor for the. Uh, for the for the outro so okay there you go I Mike like it. turned <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh is this this is the podcasty interviewing the podcaster yes the tables oh, have yeah. turned yeah I guess so, so curtis my question for you is what has been the most rewarding thing for you in doing this podcast hmm and doing the podcast I would say the positive effect that it seems to be having on the guests that we bring on and the positive feedback that we've received in terms of it helping people to process their experiences. Yeah, you're like a therapist. <laughs> Un- awesome. Highly unqualified. That's um, the best kind. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever we hear from either from a guest that has said it really helped me a lot um, to come on and talk about it or even just people say, hey, it's helped me process my feelings and my experiences listening to the podcast. It feels worth it. Awesome. Um, and if at any point I feel like it has the opposite effect, I would definitely stop doing it. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it's it's uh, tough. But you guys seem to put in a lot of work to this. So it's been really impressive for me to see on this side. So I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. So for, for Luke. Luke. Hmm. What is your goal that. for season two? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good question. Hmm. You guys put me on the spot, so. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, my personal goal for season two is to, you know, I spoke earlier about that tunnel vision, that myopia. My, my personal goal for season two is to develop a more robust and 
deeper appreciation for the roles that people that didn't have a direct role on Sparwangar, that the the piece that they played and what we were doing there. So like you bringing us milk or forty my mic or whatever. Um, you know, I want I want to hear all that because I want to expand my vision of that particular deployment beyond just my own experiences. So that yeah. that's my goal for season two. I love it. That's awesome. I think Good that's an amazing goal. Dang. That's a great goal. <laughs> Maybe you should be a co-host on a podcast. Call your friend <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> we should no, have you come back on. Yeah. Like a, that'd be when super we do like, awesome. a, like a grand finale, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would love I'd love it. You guys call. are amazing. It's been really awesome getting to know you guys. And you know, of course you run there's a lot of people that have deployed to Afghanistan, but there's not a lot that understand, you know, mm-hmm. Panjway. Yeah. So that's really neat. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, we always close it out by giving you the floor for whatever you'd like to say mm-hmm. before we play the out. We, we don't have ultra music. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have ultra music by the time yeah. I edit this. That's like um, <laughs> season 2.5 goal. No, um, I, you know, I. thanks for having me on. I was kind of nervous at first. Just because I'm still active duty, my views do yeah. not represent those of the DOD. But um, <laughs> you know, it's put that byline too. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Just putting myself out there after listening to your podcast, you know, you guys all come from the same community, and I am just a humble support officer. I love to support people. It's just who I am. I love taking care of people, but I know it's kind of a different perspective. So I was a little nervous to come on, but I'm super thankful. Um, really just want to thank all my guys from 296 and everyone in 32 and 123. They were really special to all of us. And I'm looking forward to hearing all of season two. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pandway Podcast. If you liked what you heard, Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. New episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, Facebook, and YouTube. Visit www.thepanjwaypodcast.com for more information.